Despite the Government, brought to you by Tam and Buega. This podcast is a window for African entrepreneurs and innovators within Africa and all across the globe to discuss ideas towards advancing the cause of a new vibrant Africa. Find and subscribe to Despite the Government wherever you get your podcast. This is Despite the Government's podcast. Enjoy this episode. Hello there, Buiga here for the Despite the Government podcast. Our aim with this podcast is to discuss the possibilities of a freer Africa by sharing and learning from the success stories of individual Africans and other people making things happen on the continent and across the world. Today, our guest is Pumlani Majosi, who is a writer, speaker and commentator. He is a leading South African voice in advocacy political and social commentary, as well as views and perspectives on African economies. Pumlani, thank you so much for your time on the Despite the Government podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me to your podcast. It's my first time here, so I hope yeah. I, will, I will enjoy the conversation. Thanks, man. Thank you so much. You're, you're most welcome. Uh, let, let's start with you know, freedom, the concept of freedom. Uh, can you just give us, as an outsider, I don't know that much about South Africa, but what is the state of freedom right now in South Africa? I could say from where I stand that you people in South Africa enjoy some more liberty than we do here. So perhaps you guys are top on the list. How do you assess the state of freedom right now in South Africa? Well, the state of freedom uh, in South Africa has been largely uh, better uh, than most uh, countries in the sub-Saharan um, Africa. I think we need to be clear on that uh, when it comes to whether it is the media, whether it's the democratic institutions. South Africa has been quite quite ahead uh, compared to, to many countries in the sub-Saharan um, of Africa. So uh, that has been the case over the past, I will say, 27 years of our democracy, um, because we got our democracy in 1994. So between then and today, we've been quite, we've been quite better, uh, from that, um, from the aspect of, um, you know, freedom of speech, uh, political participation, um, participation in the democratic institutions, uh, you know, whether it's, it's the central bank, whether it's, um, is the judiciary and other institutions as well. So there has been that we can criticize them, uh, we can shape their direction. So in that aspect, South Africa is has been quite in a in a better position compared to many uh, African countries. But I must say that uh, with all that, there has always been threats uh, from from the political elite, um, threats to destabilize that, that setting that we have seen in our democracy. Uh, that, that threat is alive. Uh, politicians, they've attempted, especially over the past uh, decade and a half, um, the ruling party has attempted to abuse the system and, uh, you know, just erase what we have built over the past 27 years of our democracy, or I should say over the, since 
our our democracy in 1994. They've attempted that, and in my observation, they have they've failed. I think mm-hmm. they've failed. Up to this day, they are still attempting, but I think our institutions are quite uh, remain quite quite strong. Mm-hmm. Now, that's just one kind of political social um, freedom I can I can talk about. The other element is, of course, economic freedom. The economics part of it, um, being able to buy and sell in the market, being able to with less, uh, yeah, yeah, start a business and all those things. In in that aspect, things have gotten worse and worse and worse over time over the past twenty seven years for our democracy. We have seen more regulations. Yeah, I wanted to put in and and just you give us some sense. So from what you have said, I have seen progress. And I have seen retro, retrogression. Could you help me? Uh, you, maybe from 1994, highlight how you started in South Africa as a people to start to define, build institutions. I'm sure it took some time to build, you know, to write laws, to recreate laws, to, to mm. build certain institutions that would guarantee freedom. And then somehow we started to see maybe at some point decline in the level of freedom. Press freedom, I'd like to believe, is reasonable because people can voice their opinions, but other freedoms like economic freedom. So in, in two aspects, can you give us a timeline of how uh, the process of building a great free freedom index for South African people, uh, what were the things that helped along that journey? Was it through advocacy? Was it the politicians? Was it just natural happenstance? I think at the time when we got our independence or democracy, if I should say democracy, not independence, not independence, um, when we got democracy, we had uh, quite sensible politicians at the time uh, who were willing to sacrifice and sit down and try and participate in the creation of a new democratic South Africa, right? there to try and acknowledge the um, people's um, ethnicities, cultures, races, and try and, you know, put them in a position where basically they were in large part, not that it's a perfect, what came out was perfect, but in large part, very much equal before the law, right? So that's what we've, we had sensible politicians at the time. And your question was, what did we do to build that? Remember, we, we were coming from a very divisive, repressive uh, period, um, like many African countries, right? Yeah. So, what happened was that our process began with sitting together and trying to form. These were you, you asked about what was there some advocacy? Oh yes, there was some advocacy, Love. right? There were um, advocates all over the world. Um, mm. uh, big advocates here in South Africa that were pushing for what we called uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Project, where we as people had to sit down and go back and say, okay. Things were done wrong. So how do we rebuild going forward, right? How do those who come out to say, well, we did the wrongs, how do we give them a platform so they can tell it all what they did and therefore we can try form unity going forward? So that was one critical step that was taken to try and achieve that unity. And then another step, which was very critical um, in that process, was, of course, drawing and finalizing the constitution of the country, right? Which mm. became law, I think, in 1996. Now, the constitution mm. is the law, 
and having the law is very important if you want to build a functional state. So those two yeah. political processes were quite critical in helping us to build that foundation. Uh, now, I think one element of your question is where we may have gone wrong, where did things start going yeah, down? Exactly. So, uh, by the way, just to point something out here, that is the first, the first two administrations in South Africa, that is at the administration of Nelson Mandela, uh, yeah. which was the first democratic, democratic, um, administration, and then the second, second one, Chawumpegi, the economy was largely better there, the economic performance, right? Mm-hmm. When you look at the unemployment numbers, the level of government debt, Government spending and so on and so on compared to today. So things were, were better, right? Even unemployment levels, um, they were much better compared to, um, what we have today. So yeah. even then, that's how we started. And now to get to your question, where did things go off track? I think we all very much, many of us who watch these things, we trace it back to Jacob Zuma's administration which began in mm. 2009. That administration, with that ad- administration, we saw the decline yeah. of South Africa. You know, in a very much, in a speedy, um, in a very speedy manner. The economic performance, corruption levels, government debts, you could, you could go on in terms of economic measures. So that, the Zuma administration was very fundamental in creating the decline, or, or you know, the speedy decline of South Africa. Uh, that we have seen over the past decade now. So we can trace it back to Zuma's administration. Interesting. So, um, you were talking about economic freedom. Let's, let's mm. touch on that a little bit now. What is wrong with the economic space in South Africa now? Of course, the unemployment rate, there is corruption in very high places. Uh, we are hearing ESCOM, the situation with the power sector. From where you stand as an economic analyst, uh, what is wrong with the economy of South Africa today and how can you link that to the state of economic freedom? What is the situation? Well, the situation is, is not good when it comes to our economy, um, especially the long-term uh, situation. Uh, if, if you are an investor, of course, there are some places then there where you can make money um, and make returns. But in a nutshell, our economy is not is is it's it's underperforming. It's underperforming the the, the major emerging markets. It's, it's underperforming the world as well. So uh, when you look at the the metrics like um, unemployment, it's, it, it's terrible. It is very bad. In fact, the numbers that were released this week, uh, you know, showed an increase. Government debt continues to rise. We continue to spend beyond our means. In other words, we are people who are spending beyond what we can afford. Um, we have X amount of money that we have as a country, but then when we spend, we spend beyond what we, you know, what we have. And therefore then we have to, we have to borrow, you know, which contributes to, to the debts, uh, government debt. So the state is in good. Uh, business confidence is terrible. Uh, when you look at over the past year, even before COVID, business confidence was in, was in a very terrible shape. So those fundamentals aren't looking good. Um, you know, that state of economic stagnation or economic decline that we have seen over the past decade, how do you mm. relate that to, to economic freedom? Well, by economic freedom, 
I need to be clear here what we are talking about. Because here in South Africa, there's a political party that calls itself, it calls itself economic freedom fighters. Yet it's a far left socialist movement that advances more government controls, more statist approach to the economy, um, mm. Marxist, um, you know, Approaches. political ideology that they are mm-hmm. advancing. And they call themselves economic freedom fighters. So I need to be clear here that I am talking about by economic freedom, I'm talking about the, the extent at which, at which, uh, our, our, our economy at, is, um, does in terms of, uh, private property, property rights, private property yeah. rights, in terms of taxes, the lower the taxes, the better. In terms of deregulation, in other words, yeah. less government interventions. You know, if I talk about economic, economic freedom in this context, I'm talking about less government interventions. Whether it's in yeah. spending, whether it's in regulations, whether it's in hiking taxes, and so on and so on. Now, let's just get back to, in that aspect, how have things, how Working. have things been? It's been bad because when you look at the past 27 years of our democracy, our history, which I think is a very important history, when you look at the, the, the regulations have been, have continuously, you know, rose. They've rose and rose and rose. These, these are, these are government regulations, especially in the labor market, because the labor market also has dominant movements like the big labor union, COSATU, right, which mm-hmm. uh, votes for the ANC, which is aligned with the ANC from a political point of view. So we've seen more and more regulations there with national minimum wages, with the Labor Relations Act. That has made it even, we've seen more and more regulations in the labor market. Where is that protest? You know, where are we now? We have one of the highest unemployment, in fact, it's the highest unemployment rate uh, in the major emerging markets uh, when you look at South Africa. It's, it's quite a shock, the numbers we have here. They are just very, very disturbing. So we have seen those things. Um, and also, when you look at how government has expanded in South Africa in terms of government spending, social development, whatever they call it, for the purposes of you know, of expanding the, 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 the size and the power of the state. We, we, we are seeing, you know, government debts continuing to rise. Um, we are not really managing to, to curb that. We are also seeing unemployment rates rising, which is quite weird because our, our government spends billions of rents, in fact, on an annual basis with the intent to create jobs, yet unemployment rates Continue, continue to rise, to rise, which really tells you that the solution is not more government spending. That's not what mm. we need in the country. It's not. It's less government spending, right? It's reduced taxes to create an environment that thrives, that promotes business mm. growth, that makes it easy for businesses to to function and thrive in the market. So, I mean, I think I've, I've sort of yes. sort of laid out to you how how those things. Tied back to to less economic economic state that we have. Speaking economically and possibly politically too, you do not seem to obviously link to any of the two major political parties in South Africa. ANC seem to be like the old conservative uh, uh, patterns, and now you have mentioned that EFF to to be statist, their policies are not exactly uh, freedom-leaning, uh, they're statist in a way. So what would be an alternative for a futuristic South Africa? Alternative political party, I mean. 
Well, you see, what I always tell people here in South Africa is that one of the very important, in fact, the most important thing we will need to do to get our country um, in a better state is to remove the people who are currently in charge because their policies are what, you know, have got us here. It's their policies that have got, have got us here. Uh, so what is largely their, in fact, in fact, I should say it's largely their policies that have got us here. And we therefore need to, uh, need to find an alternative. And your question is, what's the alternative? The Democratic Alliance, I've told people, seems to be, um, would do better in governance. It already governs, governs in one province, which is the Western Cape, okay. and in, in various municipalities across the country. And the data, that data, not my opinion, that data, the data shows that the DA governs better than the ruling party, the NC. Now, that's mm-hmm. just governance. And then there is ideology and economic policies. Now, what the DA proposes as economic policy, it is what it's it's in large in large part. Although, of course, there are things I disagree with in their in their um, their policies, but largely I agree with them. And you know, they are the people who can. Get us into a state where we have reduced reduced business regulations, reduced taxes, you know, reforming education in a manner that would not be hostile to to independent schools. So that kind of reform, they also they also oppose race based policies. In other words, policies that are need to be implemented, you know, on racial basis. They, because those policies have been destructive in South Africa, the DA opposes that. So I think if the DA, the Democratic Alliance, were to come into power in the country, they already govern better, but even their economic policies would be better in terms of helping the people to get back to work. Because if you have almost half of your workforce sitting at home without jobs, your country is doomed. You know, it's a serious crisis. That you have, mm. and the DA would provide, would allow at least looking at their policies, they would be able to create an environment that will boost economic growth faster, and therefore creating jobs for this, you know, for the millions in South Africa that are um, mm. that are jobless and hopeless. Let's talk about the power sector in South Africa. In Nigeria, we have a big problem in almost in the same regard. So six years ago, you probably know, we attempted to privatize, but it was just about 40% or just about half of the entire industry was privatized. So the distribution end of the, of the power business was privatized. A lot of the distribution companies have problems distributing. They don't have the adequate equipment, uh, the generation plants, under the government, still not generating enough. There's not enough efficiency. But uh, let's go to South Africa. What is the situation with ESCOM? I don't know so much, but I understand they have been in business, in government business, for the longest time. But now there is a deadlock. There is a, a major situation with the power sector in South Africa. Uh, I watched one of your interviews. 
where you mentioned that they're in a great debt and there is an attempt by the government to maybe some kind of bailout. Please give us a an overview of the situation for the power sector in South Africa. Well, the power situation is is a very it's a troubling one. The power situation. Um, we have electricity problem. The ESCOM situation. We are in a situation where basically the state-owned uh, electricity supplier, the company, is cannot meet demand um, <laughs> because uh, they are um, facilities um, that have been badly maintained. Mm. Can no longer be able to, you know, to function properly, and also people more and more demand we have seen when it comes to electricity in the country. Um, there is also has been there's been a lot of mismanagement, corruption in the institution as well. So um, that's where we are with respect to ESCOM. Now there have been some minor reforms. That are being introduced by the current administration under Sir Ramaphosa, which I think are good. Um, for example, they are now allowing, they've increased the amount of energy that can be uh, produced uh, and sold, if I'm not mistaken, produced and sold by independent companies, um, which mm-hmm. I think is good uh, because we really we've we've suffered a lot. We've suffered a lot over the past years, and uh, our economic, economic productivity has been very much affected by the power outages or, or blackouts, uh, simply because there's always been a refusal by the ANC, the ruling party, to reform the electricity or the energy industry. Was the key here? It's not much reforming ESCOM. That's not that's that, that's not the main thing here. If government wants to keep on holding on ESCOM, that's fine. That's okay. Politicians, they love control. So we can, that's fine. They can continue since they see it's a, it's a, it's a good thing to do. They can do that. The main important thing here is to make sure that the, the private sector is opened, right? Uh, that ESCOM, um, experiences competition with other energy producers. In other words, we don't have to have one supply of electricity. Open up the, the energy market so that we can see uh, more and more independent power producers going in, creating energy, supplying it, and in the process, creating jobs. If politicians want to keep on holding to ESCOM, that's not very, very critical to me. What's very, very critical is that the energy market is uh, liberalized, that it's opened up. It's opened up, it's relaxed, you relax the regulations, make it easy for people to participate, get into the market, produce and sell, and hire people. That, to me, the operations of the market was part of the problem with ESCOM is that it faces no competition. That has been a big problem as well. As a result, didn't have much alternatives if they impose blackouts or they switch off power, what we go to. That has been very destructive in the country. Apart from mentioning mismanagement and other issues, so if ESCOM had worked up until five or ten years ago, what really happened? What would the private sector in the independent power, power plants do differently? Uh, what, in your opinion, is the missing link? Why is ESCOM not getting things right? You have mentioned mismanagement. 
if we totally depend on uh, the private sector to take care of power, are you confident that there won't be problems anymore? Well, you know, there are many industries where there is no government interventions. Um, and by government interventions, I'm talking about government ownership, where government owns a specific institution institution to provide the product. There are many industries that are that are like that. The retail is one. I've never heard of um, I've never heard of uh, of a um, of uh, of a retail shop that is that is owned by government and supplies products. I've never heard of that. Um, I've never in I mean in services in services industries, um, you know, property industry. I've never heard of um, you know government owning. A company that that somehow tries to supply things or create products. There are many of of, of such industries that are the governments. They tend to like airlines and electricity as well, and of course others like defense and so. On. But I mean, my point is that if the private sector, if let, let's just take the worst case scenario, which is likely not to happen in South Africa. Let's suppose government was getting out of the energy industry. Get out completely. And by get out, I'm saying you get rid of ESCOM. Government no longer controls or plays or have, has a, have a stake on ESCOM. And they, they get out of the energy market. Why wouldn't we have energy? Of course we'd have energy. If, 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 if government wants to help people, then we are talking about the issue of subsidy. Of which if they want to help people, maybe give them money, vouchers, so they can buy in the market. That's a separate issue. You don't have to, the government doesn't have to own an electricity company for the purpose of trying to help the poor, right? Uh, or those who, um, who are less fortunate. They don't have to own companies to achieve that. They can rather, if they want to help, subsidize, um, by, by, in monetary terms, but, you know, give help to people so those people can take that money and buy whatever they want to buy, including electricity, in the market. There would be no there wouldn't be an issue. Competition is good because it creates opportunities. That there would always be the energy market if government government were to pull out, if our government were to pull out, that wouldn't mean the death of the energy industry. Of course those who especially since it will allow for the opening. We'll see more people wanting to get in and, and, and produce and supply power. And, you know, uh, uh, the people, the poor people that government, government wants to help can use the subsidies from government then to buy in the market if the intent is to, is to help people who cannot afford mm. such things. So, I mean, government getting out of the way, it wouldn't hurt. Because remember that they justify their involvement by saying we want to help the poor, but uh, that's a subsidy argument then, which means you don't have to you don't have to own a company to help the poor, right? You can allow the private sector mm. to manage such things, the market to manage such, collect taxes, and then yeah, and then help um, if you want to help, since they want to help people, and then they can help them mm. through. Vouchers or subsidies of some sort, and then people can buy, can buy in the market. For me, that would be better than government owning companies that are mismanaged for political purposes, mm. 
um, which is very, very um, uh, destructive. Did, did did you ask why was ESCOM working before? Well, yeah, government. I mean, ESCOM ESCOM really has always been, you know, be been managed by government. Um, it, it was better managed before um, than today. Um, um, by before I'm talking about. Let's just be be honest and clear. Before 1994, it was it was better managed than what it has become for the past two decades. Even some time after 1994, 1994, things were okay. Um, they were not that bad. And then things get started started getting worse and worse under the, the ruling party of the NC. Now, when you say that people tend yeah. to say, well, let's keep it under, you know, let's keep it under government. Let's just change the people. If you say that, that it was at one point better managed, better managed by government, people, these people who love, who love government ownership and interventions, they will say, well, well, that means then we don't have to privatize it. We don't, we just need to have good people who, who know can run it. But you see, my counter to that is that even still, we are still opening it to the risk of being mismanaged by just remove the entire risk, remove the entire risk of being mismanaged by politicians and let the private sector bring efficiency and manage them, you know, the company and, and, and push it forward. That's just my thing. Uh, let's talk about, you mentioned retail and ShopRite comes to mind. The success of ShopRite you know, has, you know, come to Nigeria over the last 10 years thereabout. Uh, we have seen ShopRite, apart from ShopRite, uh, there is MTN, the mobile telecoms company, that is doing amazing. So that's one of the, one or two of the major companies from South Africa in Nigeria. Um, in what ways do you think the private sector has really helped advance South Africa? I mean, the success stories are there. I know of ShopRite, I know of MTN, I know there are more, many more. What other success stories do we have of the private sector doing amazing, advancing things in South Africa? Well, the private sector has been largely better uh, than than the government sector uh, in terms of efficiencies because it's 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 because of it's got different constraints and um, different constraints and incentives. Um, in the private sector compare, compared to, or in contrast to the public sector. So it's been, it's been largely better. I don't want to be specific of the companies. I think they are, they could count many. Um, that Truets, such, such companies like Truets as well, Woolworths, um, all these retail, we also have, uh, broadcasting, good broadcasting companies. Well, few, but, um, very good. So there has been the, the the private sector has done has done quite quite okay um, in the country. Though, though, of course, if I say quite okay, I'm talking about compared to the, uh, the public sector. They have also felt the pain. They have felt the pain of repressive regulations, um, repressive, um, you know, taxes. If you can can mention that. So they have felt all that pain, but in comparison to to the public sector, they remain they remain much better. We did mention a very important one, and that is the financial services industry in South Africa, the banks. I mean, they are one of the 
when you look at around the world, they are one of the, South Africa has one of the very good banking systems. Um, yes, standard. And, yeah, and it's largely because there's a huge sort of, you know, um, private sector operation there. Um, though, of course, there yeah. are government regulations there and there, but it's, um, it's a much better sector than government. And that's why I always argue that we need more of the private sector in South Africa and less of the government sector. That should be better for us. On a lighter note, uh, from where I stand, I think the entertainment sector in South Africa is doing amazing. I don't, I don't know if you have something to say about that. Is that private sector led to? Most definitely. Yeah, again, that's the private sector. Uh, of course, there has been some, much of the entertainment uh, since our democracy for some time, you know, government was very much through the the SAPC. SAPC was kind of the South African Broadcasting Corporation kind of managed that kind of aspect of entertainment because there were there, there were things that those people sort of, for example, there are even footages of films of music or whatever that could only be found from them, you know. So they, they were quite dominant in that aspect. But we've seen you know, sort of smaller private companies emerging over the past 27 years um, in the entertainment space. So that one, that industry as well, has done has done okay, um, and we are grateful. And it, has, it has done okay, more okay compared to many African countries in the continent, I think. Amazing. So I'd love to ask you, well, what do you listen to? Do you listen to contemporary South African music? I mean, I like Casper and Uvest and, you know, Master KG, all of them. And what do I listen to? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know Casper. Hey, um, uh, I, I, I'm not a big fan of his. I like DJ, uh, DJ Tira. I don't know if you're a fan of DJ Tira. So I like DJ Tira. He's, um, DJ Tira or DJ Tira. He's, he's, he's very good from a musical point of mm. view. Um, I also like, you know, there are many local guys there who have done quite well over the past few years, uh, in the yeah. market, in the age of where the internet now kind of very, plays a big role in the sales of sell your music, mm-hmm. um, plays a very big role now. So, um, Mafiki Zolo is one of those groups I like as well locally. They tend to always try and be relevant. They've been around for a while and they are quite yeah. good. Shoma Josie, good as well, yeah. you know. So I mean, yeah. Yeah. Are you related? No, I'm not. No, people ask. Um, I related to, Everything. no, I'm not. <laughs> amazing. She has good vibe, good energy. Yeah, yeah. She's from, she's from Limpompo. I'm from the other, I'm, I'm from the east. She's from the north. I'm from the east of the country. Yeah. And we are different tribes. Oh, okay. So I think we should get back to some serious talk here. There is a 2019 article that you wrote. Uh, essentially, your argument is that the US, Europe, and China must come first in South Africa's foreign policy. This was 2019, two years ago. I don't know if you still share the same views. And 
in the article you said for now that means later in the future south africa might want to uh pay more attention to african neighbors or african colleagues why do you share that view because um there is a, a, a reality here that we need to face which we have alluded to um in our conversation here most of our african countries um everybody from the north down to the south we still have enormous challenges that we cannot escape just beyond our borders in south africa we have been dealing with or i should say mozambican government has been dealing with the isis isis linked uh, terror group so security is a serious problem security in central in the west in East Africa as well we have those security challenges then we have also economic challenges from an infrastructure level right where we still by huge magnitude by huge you know scale we as Africans are left behind when it comes to infrastructure so that's also a challenge we face it's also a challenge we face when it comes to you know basic basic political instabilities um in our continent we still face too many issues in that in that aspect now that and the levels of poverty as well they are still high in our continent um and every country in africa faces that now we need to acknowledge those facts that yes we are building we have been building over the past 30 years in fact i should say over the past 30 years because there were the kind of fears that were not dominated by the cold war so really everyone was trying to to push for you know for building their countries across the continent so we are rebuilding from so our purchasing our our purchasing power it still remains it still remains low right our gdp per capita in the continent the buying power that we have it remains very low we we, we really cannot sort of um we are still we are still in a position where we are building some of the countries really their gdp per capita is around starts from plus minus 700 gdp per capita and 700 i mean dollars us dollars so that's very very low um so that purchasing power is what we 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 you know we we don't yet have but we do know that in the west in the in the west in in western countries those people have a, a, a very high purchasing power we do know that the facts show that we also know that the chinese have become they're very productive in terms of producing and now we should be clear here that yes they are producing but uh, we should aim to sell to them right as a continent as africans so we must aim to sell to those people now the reason i said south africa must for now that our major people we should sort of try by all means to work with no matter what and prioritize are those people who've got the money to who have the higher purchasing power to buy the our commodities that we export to them to buy the cars that we, we manufacture our agricultural products we are not i'm not saying that there should be no cooperation with our we have many issues to solve in africa but from who do we aim to prioritize in terms of selling because these are people who have more money i think it's best that we put those countries first and do not you know mess up um 
our relations with them while we try and rebuild our African continent with our with our partners. I think that's very important. And I think every country, even Nigeria as well, Nigeria and Angola, who are very much oil producers, these are oil producers. Um, you've, you have a big commodity there, and the countries really you should aim to bring into to attract to make them your customers to have good relations with them are countries with bigger purchasing power uh you know stronger economic productivity um that will buy your products your oil so that you can be able to to maintain your country doesn't mean that you shouldn't trade with African countries we have we've just started we started start with them with this new Africa Free Trade Agreement, which is a very good step forward. But I think as countries in Africa, let's also think about that as individual countries, that we want to attract people who've got the money around the world. Your point about the geopolitics and diplomacy is, yes, we need the help of the big brothers over there, Europe, US, China, and so we have to liaise with them, we have to relate with them. So I, I got that point. Speaking of geopolitics, the new development in Zambia uh, Hakende Hitulema, the new president. Uh, I'm sure that is good news for the Southern African uh, clan generally. And how does that make you feel? Of course, it's good news. And does that really change anything in terms of the geopolitical arrangement in Southern Africa? Uh, and, and not really, because I don't think Zambia is one of the sort of um, most powerful countries in Africa. I, I tend to always think of Africa's superpowers as as South Africa, Nigeria, Kenya, um, Botswana as well. I tend to see those, this is the sub-Saharan Africa. I tend to see those countries as more of, as more of the most powerful. So what happened in, in Zambia is, is quite good. It's sort of, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's one step forward for Africans. This is a lesson for many you know, African people across the continent, and and it sort of it it sort of lays it lays out the fact that anything is possible if we follow the you know the right process, and we don't have to be we we don't have to be we don't have to be rich for us to do the uh, things the right way. Yes, we may we may be a poor continent. Um, we may be very challenged compared to other continents around the world. But even those continents were at one point like that. They were also poor, right? So it is now that we need to get the democratic processes right and be in a, in a path that would allow us to, you know, to, 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 to develop our countries and to stabilize our, our politics. So Zambia is a good, it's a good thing that has happened, and we should be we should be uh, proud of it, and we should take it as a lesson that anything is anything is achievable um, in Africa. On a final note, now, in what specific ways do you believe that um, free market systems can be properly deployed in some specific sectors in South Africa that would advance the country further? I mean, we have to solve the unemployment problem. In what specific ways and in what specific industries, apart from the ones we have mentioned, do you think special policies in terms of free market mechanisms can be employed? Well, security is an issue here in South Africa. We have one of the very shocking uh, crime rates in the world. Um, 
by some data, I think we're in the top five, somewhere there. Uh, the, the criminality is a huge problem in South Africa. Almost 60 people are murdered per day. They're killed, you know, chopped off. Um, so the homicide rates are very disturbing, and I think the security industry is where also you can beef things up. In other words, allow private security companies to operate and provide and provide services. The more of them we have, the better, right, for people to protect themselves against crime. So that's one, that's one, um, that's one industry. I think the airlines, I want more competition in the airlines industry. COVID came, when COVID arrived and government, uh, our government responded in a, in a manner that crippled, that crippled, uh, many airlines industries. So that's one space I think that still needs more competition. The airlines industry. We want. I would love to see more airlines in that in this country. Um, that will fly across the African continent and overseas as well. So that's that's one industry. Education, I think, is one industry that really needs reform. And by reform, I mean we need more independent schools. And by independent schools, I'm talking about private schools. Um, the more private schools we have, the better. Now, people always now want to mention private schools. They say, oh, no, not everybody will afford those. Of course, not everybody can afford anything. That, that's not how our human society. Thank you so much for your time. So that's our chat with Pumlani Majosi, who is a South African writer, speaker, and political commentator. Please find the podcast wherever you get your podcast, and feel free to subscribe and share with your friends. My name is Buyega Adioya. We'll see you next time on the Despite the Government podcast.